0: The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, assisted by Gogs Mackay, we're back at the Paracast. We have another special guest this week. He will join us in the next segment. In the meantime, I thought perhaps, unless my two compatriots say no, in which case I lose the vote, doesn't matter that I hold the microphone controls in my hand, Very democratic here, as they say. Talk about last week's show in relation to the fact that people always seem to have evidence, but you never see much of it. Like, for example, we were talking about some videos that Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center said he had, but they're not posted online because he feels they'll use too much bandwidth. Now, I mentioned to him that I have the bandwidth. I would host or mirror those videos if he wanted i never got a response chris what do you think
2: i'm not quite sure what to make of that actually gene i i you know i thought it was a very magnanimous thing for you to to volunteer to to host the video and i don't see any reason why he wouldn't want to do that somebody on our forums posted some i don't know bit of hearsay that they thought that somehow peter was tied in with the NSA, I I have a hard time believing that, but it kind of makes you wonder why someone would pass up an opportunity like that after professing interest in having it on the air and, and sort of lamenting the fact that it wasn't. It doesn't make sense.
1: It almost harkens back to the Marley Woods case from Ted Phillips, and if you remember the last time he was on the show, and he wants to come back again, I told him that we'd have him back on in the near future. He said he was going to put all that stuff up on a new website. So for a few weeks, the website was in an early stage of development, and that all stopped. So we haven't seen any more information from Ted Phillips. And once again, I welcome his participation. Right. It's the same problem. Now, the other person who says he has evidence and we never really get to see it is, of course, your friend Ray Stanford. And you got a chance to talk to him when you were in Washington, D.C., for the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. You spent two days with Ray. You begged him, please. We didn't get
2: through all his material. I was absolutely gog-smacked. No. Uh, (laughs) Actually, gogs, you have my permission. To smack me. Yes, Uh, please, just a minute. What? (laughs) Wait. He is really on to something. I saw some of the most ama- well the most amazing analytical process I've ever even heard of in ufology, or in his words, AAOology, which is anomalous aerial objects, uh, his preferred term. The problem with someone like Ray is that when you have such a intricate uh, involved data to just put it up there for people to scratch their heads without context, it just doesn't make sense. That's why Ray is offered, To show his data to anyone with a basic science background that's interested in seeing the real thing. But you have to spend days, literally days, to understand what it is that he's doing and how he has come up, what I consider to be replicated data. He's able to show in frames of his films and in uh, other films from other people and other photographs, demonstrable, repeatable, and predictable ghost imaging, which he thinks uh, may be tied into some sort of time compression scenario, that the, the, the technology that these pilots of these craft are using. He showed me example after example of these uh, bent wing delta craft, mothership type craft where these objects are docking underneath, and ghost images of the objects that you can almost predict where they're going to be based on the analysis of a particular frame or photograph. And one of the things that really totally amazed me was he uses a technique of false color and bringing the signal out of the noise literally um of these photographs uh a majority of them are actually analog photographs and not not digital uh, of course it's coming across on a digital screen but you know for someone like Ray to try to put this information up online without explaining what you're looking at would just it, it would be more confusing and do more harm than good He can't just write it up in a paper? It's what he's doing right now. And he's uh, interested in in scientists and physicists and optical physicists getting involved in his analytical process. He's already shown this data to some very high-powered individuals uh, whose names would be recognized by many of the listeners here at the Paracast. You know the names, then? Oh, I do. (laughs) And I've seen seen the emails. One uh, physicist called his work Magnificent, and claimed that Ray had given him just enough of a of a hint to help him tackle a major problem that he'd been dealing with, and thanked Ray for that that uh, wonderful little nugget that he needed to uh, break through on some of his own research. So, you know, Ray is the real deal. I don't care what anybody says. I have seen it. I do have a basic background in science. I'm able to follow a line of of analytical logic. I was absolutely blown away by what I saw.
1: You know, it would be worthwhile for you, maybe, Chris, to write something up for the forums more extensive about this, at least enough to give people an idea that something really exists and it's available for people to see. And I think one of the concerns I have, of course, is that Ray Stanford is not the youngest guy on the planet. And we'd like to see him complete his work before he leaves this planet. Does he have any contingency plans for that? You know, what happens if he's...
2: That's a touchy subject. Uh, Ray almost uh, died of a heart attack uh, about 10 years ago, just before I really met him. He does have um, he does have a degraded heart because of a misdiagnosis uh, of a heart attack that he had. This is uh, something that I worry about. What I was wanting to do was try to get Ray's permission to film... His entire presentation to me, I was there with a ton, ton of, 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 tape and I was ready to, to do the whole thing. And he said, no, he's not ready yet. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best for everybody's sake and in, including, uh, moving the field forward. And, you know, uh, he does realize that time is, uh, that clock is ticking.
3: Cox? Yeah. Well, I, um, I trust Chris. If Chris is, is saying you know that he's seen this and you know he's stated Ray's intentions then I got to believe them but obviously Chris knows and I know that isn't gonna cut it with some people and you know me personally I'm just jealous you know I would like to I would like to see this stuff and I suppose you could you know looking at Ray Stanford he has this um he has he's very he's got the science background, he's really worked at this for a long time. But I'm just wondering, well, you know, sometimes we're we're having a go at NIDS or Bob Bigelow, um, the, the black hole of data. But perhaps Bigelow and NIDS have the exact same argument that the reason why they don't wish to disclose data um straight away. Um, I don't really know Ted Phillips' uh, reluctance. I don't think he's claiming to be doing the same kind of standard of work that Ray Stanford is. Um, but just for me, the average UFO interest person, it just seems like anyone who has the good stuff has their own reasons for not wanting to share it. And in a way, I can kind of understand it. You could make analogies with other ventures in life where you are working hard to do something and you know the public at large or a certain section of them would be very interested but you have your own reasons for um, for not publishing or whatever straight away I can totally understand that like say for instance you you could maybe are making what you think is the greatest pop song ever and you let that slip to a few friends that are into music and they're saying oh come on just play us a few bars and you think well You know, maybe someone might steal that idea or you just, just for purely artistic reasons, you don't want it until, and don't want it released until it's ready. Most writers, most authors, artists of any kind, they don't like seeing people, you you wouldn't, uh, uh, da Vinci wouldn't let you see the Sistine Chapel halfway through. So I do understand that argument. It's just really frustrating being the one of the guys who can't get their hands on this. As for Peter Davenport, I cannot understand at all his reluctance to um, to allow you to post that video mid or the site or whatever it takes.
1: Coming up next, we'll have Robert Hastings. He's author of UFOs and Nukes, and he was not at the citizen hearing on disclosure. And we'll find out why and more with Gene and Chris and Goggs. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> You know, the people we work with the most aren't always the people we see every day. Co-workers work on the go, different offices, clients are spread across the country, around the globe. You know, to work efficiently today, you need to have a stronger connection to your team to build trust and stay focused and brainstorm. And as you know, here on my radio shows, we've got people around the world that we deal with. Well, with Meeting by Citrix, your entire team is just a click away. You can share the same screen and collaborate in real time. Tell me about it, even on your iPad. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com. Click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. Remember, use the promo code PODCAST.
4: GoToMeeting. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
5: What's more amazing than a Swiss Army knife? A survival business card. It's 11 functions rolled into one pocket sized tool, including a sharp knife, a saw, a bottle opener, and a can opener, too. It even has a wrench. It lays flat, fits right in your wallet. A survival multi tool for your wallet. Leather like sheath included. Designed to be practical and built to last yours free. That's right, free. Claim yours right now while supplies last at freesurvivaltool.com. Again, that's freesurvivaltool.com in front of Congress right now could take away your right to keep and bear arms. If Obama has his way, all guns will be either banned, restricted, or confiscated, possibly by executive order. The best way to keep your guns is to hide them. What Obama can't find, Obama can't take away. You can protect your guns from any threat. Download our special report, How to Hide Your Guns, at GoHideYourGuns.com. Learn how to hide your guns while keeping them readily available. Get the report now before they make us take it down. On the web at GoHideYourGuns.com.
6: Did you know that 50% of heart attacks are brought on by infections? Did you know that hospitals are breeding grounds for antibiotic-resistant bugs like MRSA, the environment is infected with parasites, and the mild winter means ticks with Lyme disease, mosquitoes with West Nile virus, and cold and flu viruses will be on the rise. Protect yourself with nature's natural antiparasitic, antiviral, antifungal, antibiotic, allicin, the heart of garlic. Get concentrated protection with Ali c and Aliban ban from Affinity Health Products. One capsule of Ali c equals 40 cloves of garlic or 100 garlic pills with no garlic breath. Aliban ban has allicin in spray, liquid, and cream forms with three times more strength than lead Brands and cost less. Go to ally ccom spelled A-L-L-I-C.com, or call 855-Allison. That's 855-255-4246. That's 855-255-4246. Protect yourself with Ali c and Ali band from Affinity Health Products at ally ccom
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're
1: joined by Robert Hastings. He's author of a book called UFOs and Nukes. And it's what the name implies about UFOs seen in and around nuclear weapons installations and sometimes the mischief they cause now robert some of the people that you have brought to our attention with regard to ufos and nukes appeared over at the citizen hearing on disclosure but you weren't there why
7: I have a problem with the way Steve Bassett approaches the presentation of UFO-related data in a public venue. The witnesses you just mentioned, the former Air Force Missileers, three of whom came to me over the last three or four years and provided their stories to me before anyone else, uh, as well as Bob Salas, who co-hosted my UFOs and Nukes press conference. All of those people are obviously quite credible there is documentation backing up a UFO presence at nuclear weapon sites going back to the 1940s. So I don't have a problem with that. However, because Mr. Bassett refuses to vet his witnesses, something he seems to be quite adamant about, uh, I recently listened to a March 1st, 2009 interview you and David Biedney did with him, which I think you should link for your viewers, uh, your listeners, rather. I think it's quite clear that he thinks the end justifies the means and he can do anything he needs to or wants to when presenting this information. Consequently, some of the witnesses at the citizen hearing, in my view, were far less than credible. Uh, These are people who I've tangled with publicly and privately over the last 25 years. And I'm about to post an article at my website called Citizen Disclosure and remarkable revelations undercut by damaging disinformation. It will be up at my website on the articles page by the time this program airs. So in short, I think it's problematic for Mr. Bassett to mingle and mix credible data with quite obviously BS, in my opinion, disinformation presented by what I consider to be the more gullible fringe of ufology. Therefore, I did not want to participate. I am gratified. I'm thankful that the media and the public responded quite favorably, the congresspersons who heard the testimony, to what these ex-missileers, these Air Force missile launch officers and missile guard had to say. But again, uh, I, I... I'm happy that that was the outcome, but I wasn't prepared to be involved uh, at
2: the outset. Yeah. Well, I, I must say, uh, having seen the entire thing because I was helping videotape it and stream it, the absolute low point. And there were a number of them, but the absolute low point was the Honorable Paul Hellier summing up the entire proceedings uh, on the last day by quoting E.T. verbatim to uh, alleged abductee Jim Sparks. I, I mean, I was trying to tickle my nose so I could do a
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> But I was just really, really not happy hearing this very naive, just true believer believe anything that you read or told. And then to have the whole thing summed up with, I, I think, even a questionable uh, <laughs> ET dialogue uh, would be actually being way too kind. Uh, to me, it was just it, it, it really threw a pall over the whole thing. And there were quite a number of people in the audience, I could tell, that were just shaking their heads going, oh, you know, you, you, you spend five days. admittedly there were some some duds in there as you pointed out who who i'm i'm happy to name um but uh to have the whole thing just it just was like a bucket of ice water thrown over the whole thing and in many people's and i just oh it just drove me up the wall
7: that's my point precisely and as long as Bassett's running the show, it is going to be a circus rather than something more uh, resembling a serious disclosure-type event. Unfortunately, he, he seems to be oblivious to the fact that he shoots himself in the foot on a regular basis, and you know, shoots everybody else in the foot who, who associates with him. In my view, uh, more often than not, I had particular problems with the witnesses who were describing quote information from the so-called mj twelve document which are overwhelmingly conclusively proved to be fraudulent. The thrust of my new article is that researchers, including myself 25 years ago, put the last nail in that coffin. MJ-12 is a hoax, whether it was a disinformation scheme or Bill Moore and crew making money, uh, trying to make money, remains to be seen, uh, remains to be determined, but the overwhelming forensic and anecdotal evidence confirms that MJ-12 is a hoax, and yet you have persons like Linda Howe and Richard Dolan and others who still trot this out as some sort of smoking gun evidence that the Roswell incident was real. Now, I think Roswell was real. I think uh, if you look at the statements by retired uh, Air Force General Arthur E. Exxon, who said that this was a recovery of a craft from space, and other credible witnesses that have been brought forth, I think quite clearly Roswell was a, a, an extraordinary event. However, that does not excuse the fact that for decades now, for those in the know, which is very distressingly a small number of people, the MJ-12 papers are totally fraudulent. And to mix that sort of nonsense with, for example, the credit, credible testimony presented by these ex-Air Force missile leaders, the nuclear missile officers, is inexcusable in my view. It just muddies the water as you said, uh, you know, statements by others, just bring the whole thing down. This could have been if Bassett had been less uh, arrogant about his need to vet witnesses and the very real need to do that by anyone who presents this information publicly, he would have had a much more strong, perhaps memorable event. But I think, uh, as you said, People who look at this after the fact on the web at one website or another and read about a summary of some of the testimony, you know, they're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're going to read about the missileers saying UFOs are shutting down nuclear weapons. Then they're going to read about mental telepathy between an NJF-12 witness and an alien captured (laughs) as presented by Linda Howe. You know, and the whole thing just stinks uh, as a consequence.
1: I was about to say when you were uttering that throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I was going to say throwing out the basset with the bathwater. <laughs> Good one, Goggs. You had a comment.
3: Yes, uh, Robert. I'm, you know, I'm pleased to hear that you, you know, the decisions why you wanted to stay away from the citizens' hearing. Uh, my point is quite simply: aren't all UFO conferences and events of, you know, of this kind or or any kind? they're always marred by non-credible speakers the woo-woo crowd you know the pleiadian believers and whatever and my my question struck point i suppose is do 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 you do people do we just stay away totally because of that the non-credible element or do we have to appear to make sure that the, the side of the credible researcher is shown and that the public don't only get to see the non-credible ones.
7: Well, your point
3: is absolutely correct.
7: Um, I think in the uh, 31 years that I've been on the college lecture circuit where I am the only speaker, uh, during that same period I've spoken at precisely three conferences, uh, simply because I did not want my research to be associated with other claims that I consider less than credible. Um, But you're correct this sort of phenomenon uh both the good and the bad the credible and the ridiculous are all mixed up into this this mess called ufology
1: we have to do the break now then we'll continue with that robert okay we have robert hastings joining gene and chris and Goggs. you're in the Paracast. america's
8: number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade
1: We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, twenty-four-seven support. You can save over fifty-five dollars. You want to know how? Go to dreamhost.com/radio. Dreamhost.com/radio. Web-
9: If you're going to have a bunker, why not have an Ultimate Bunker? In case of pandemic outbreak, civil unrest, biological or nuclear fallout, or EMP attacks, stay safe in your own Ultimate Bunker, built for lasting security for any need or budget. Manufactured in Salt Lake City, Utah, each Ultimate Bunker includes free food storage and all the comforts of home. Learn more at ultimatebunker.com. That's ultimatebunker.com. Or call 801-661-3900. Ultimate Bunker. You can't do better than the ultimate.
11: 9th Annual Health Freedom Expo returns June 7th through June 9th at the Schaumburg Convention Center in Schaumburg, Illinois. Featuring over 75 world-renowned doctors, activists and experts. Meet Dr. Joel Wallach, author of Dead Doctors Don't Lie, actress and activist Daryl Hannah, famed Dr. Patch Adams, woman's health expert Dr. Joan Boricinko, GMO activist Jeffrey Smith, and renowned natural health doctor Dr. Joseph Mercola. Sample delicious healthy foods, watch award-winning documentaries, attend exciting panel discussions, discover the the latest natural health products. And be sure to check out the expo hall filled with 200 exhibitors. Don't forget about the new interactive pavilions and receive free screenings. It's all here under one roof for only $20 a day or $45 for the entire three day weekend. It costs less than a doctor's visit, but hurry. Tickets are going fast. For tickets and info, visit healthfreedomexpo.com or call 888-658-3972. The Health Freedom Expo, your one source for total natural health solutions.
7: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere
1: else. Hear that,
7: George Snorri?
1: With Gene and Chris, assisted by Gogs Mackay, we have Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. Right now, we're talking about influenced by the citizen hearing on Disclosure, the fact that. There are so many ways of polluting the UFO field. And I wonder here, doesn't the fact that so many good people, good, honest people with lots of information appear at events where less acceptable people are allowed to show up, doesn't that just advance the agenda of someone like a Stephen Bassett? I mean, if Stanton Friedman and Kevin Randall and all the rest of the people said, no, we're not doing it unless you exclude these people. If that doesn't happen, it's just going to go on.
7: Well, again, I'm an outsider looking in. I don't think I can influence the course of events and so I'm not going to even try. You mentioned Stanton Friedman. Stan Friedman has done excellent work in in the field of ufology. Unfortunately, he's one of those people who has been duped, in my view, by the perpetrators of the MJ-12 hoax. Uh, he's never going to admit that. I talked to him at length one-on-one at a conference in Brazil in 2009, and he may have a different memory of it, but my memory was he conceded to me personally that there's really no credible evidence or there's no verifiable way of documenting any of these so-called MJ-12 papers. He can advance, others can advance arguments for their legitimacy, but they all can be explained away with alternate scenarios that point toward a disinformational scheme or just an outright hoax. So I don't think that he'll ever have that conversation publicly. He won't acknowledge that, which is his prerogative. Kevin Randall, you know, is one of the chief people who helped debunk MJ-12 in the article that I'm posting at my website. Again, it should be up by the time this uh, interview airs. I mentioned Randall by name and others, Barry Greenwood, the late Bob Todd, Brad Spark, and myself, people who found just irrefutable smoking gun evidence of the fraudulent nature of the MJ-12 papers. Again, there are people like Linda Howe, uh, who unfortunately was the person to widely disseminate this crap. She was so duped by Richard Doty and a man named Bob Collins, AFOSI, Air Force Office of Special Investigations at Kirtland Air Force Base. She has never Uh, you know, come to the service since then. uh, She's just gone further and further down the slippery slope, believing virtually everything she's told by anyone who Mm -hmm. utters the word MJ-12 and says that he has a knowledge of it. Um, You know, she's just a sucker for that. And it's unfortunate.
1: Now, when you talk about people like Robert Collins and also Richard Doty, they were genuinely in the military. And you wonder why their superiors haven't simply told them to stop this nonsense.
7: Well, on the other hand, it can be argued that what (laughs) they were doing was under orders. You know, I am of the opinion that this was a disinformation, not a hoax. And therefore, in fact, Richard Doty, as recently as 2009, I believe, sent we had a heated email exchange and he said to me, everything I did, I did under orders. And I think he's telling the truth. In my view, there is substantial evidence throughout the years of disinformational attempts to try to minimize the public's knowledge of the government's interest in UFOs. Sleights of hand, as it were, the classic case being the closure of Project Blue Book. With great fanfare, the public was told, hey, the Air Force, after 22 years, found no evidence UFOs exist and it's getting out of the UFO investigations business. The media bought it. Uh, the public, some number of the public bought it. Uh, years later, through the Freedom of Information Act, documents surfaced confirming. Uh, there's one called the Bolender Memo, uh, in particular, saying that National security related UFO incidents were never directed to Blue Book, or at least not systematically directed to Blue Book, and that other groups within the U.S. military were set up to just, to investigate national security related cases. So the public was told, look over here, not over there, look over at the closure of Project Blue Book. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, out of public view, we're continuing our investigations of UFO incursions at missile sites, for example, of uh, the Office yeah. of Special Investigations, which a number of my ex-missile sources referred to, say they were interviewed or debriefed by agents from that office.
1: Now, interesting that you sent a link to me, Robert, before we did this show. And the reason I bring it up is because we now have all these stories about governments gone amok, about the U.S. government, about the IRS scandal, so-called scandal, going after conservative political action groups who wanted to be given status as nonprofits about the issue with regard to sending subpoena out secretly to retrieve telephone logs from the AP because of a possible security leak, all this stuff about government gone amok. And then you send me a story here called How UFO Believers Make Our Government More Transparent. It almost sounds like it argues against that. What's this article about, Robert?
7: Uh, well, I've only read it once, and then I sent it out. It's uh, less than... Uh 12 hours old at this point. Um, I don't even remember the name of the reporter who wrote it, but basically it was uh, sort of a sis- superficial and not very um, entirely accurate, at least, uh, summary of freedom of information requests relating to UFO documents. Um, the point a reporter was trying to make was that even though it's considered a, a taboo subject or off-the-wall subject the fact that UFO researchers have spearheaded the release of government documents on UFOs has allowed other avenues other uh, documents on other topics other subject matter to be released as a result of these ongoing efforts by UFO researchers what the article doesn't say is that again we're into this sleight-of-hand mode where uh... it's been established that the the air force let's say and the cia selectively release the documents they want to release the smoking gun documents the ones that are incriminating the ones that don't parrot the official line that the government is not interested in ufo's never see the light of day they are leaked from time to time or uh... uh... prayerfully some reference to the smoking gun documents appear in another document that is released uh... to cite some examples uh... Um, In the late 70s, various researchers uh, filed suit with the CIA for its release of UFO documents. There were about a 1,000 pages ultimately released at a classification level of secret or lower. Years later, Stanton Friedman uh, accessed an NSA national security document through the FOIA that referenced a top secret or a number of top secret CIA UFO documents that the agency had shared with NSA. And so, quite clearly, CIA had top-secret documents on UFOs that they did not hint existed. They did not certainly release to these researchers in the 70s. Uh, when Friedman filed FOIAs to get those uh, top-secret CIA UFO documents, uh, they were basically all redacted. Uh, you know, they were virtually worthless because all the material had been censored. So that's the kind of sleight-of-hand game that, the reporter writing this article either was unaware of or chose not to mention in her
1: article. I would assume in most cases when you have articles like this, the person who wrote it really doesn't know anything more than they learned with very brief research, and that's, that's it. it. That's exactly it.
7: You know, they they have they have deadlines. They have uh, x amount of hours to do a given story. Then it's on to the next story. So, with rare exceptions, uh, the average reporter, even for the premier. News organizations in the U.S. really don't have a good sense of the things that we're discussing here today.
1: We don't have much investigative journalism either. I mean, I read stories here where people will write up a report, and there are critical points that should be mentioned in reference and point of reference to that story. Information that we used to get from the morgue at a newspaper, and they don't look it up online or in their own newspapers' records that either contradict what they're saying. Or provide a proper reference there's no frame of reference everything exists as a vacuum so that story is a vacuum
7: part of the problem is the average person may be interested in UFOs but they've got their day-to-day concerns you know to feed their family and so on and so forth and the amount amount of time they have to devote to researching this uh, topic is minimal and also with the internet you now have an overwhelming glut of information that's accessible at your fingertips, but you know, systematically sorting through it and, and separating the wheat from the chaff, the good articles from the nonsense is a monumental task. So um that that is not helpful as well.
1: We have Robert Hastings. His book is called UFOs and Nukes, subtitled Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapons Sites and we'll get into his layers of information and your Questions, Powercast listeners, in just a moment. Gox McKay joins our panel with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
8: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
14: Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions,
15: The government's Department of Homeland Security is buying up loads of ammo. At the same time, they're restricting civilians' rights to own and purchase firearms. Can you put two and two together? Infidel Body Armor can stop every round, including hollow points and 308 sniper rounds. It's reasonably priced and fully legal. But for how long? Go to InfidelBodyArmor.com, spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L, BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit.
16: It's time to get real.
10: It's time to prepare.
16: Economic collapse. Social unrest. Natural disasters. Government takeover. UN takeover. Are you ready? 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 Get ready at the Social Prepper Trade Show in Dalton, Georgia, June 6th, 7th, and 8th. Three massive days to learn self-reliance and emergency preparedness. Exhibitors ranging from survival, solar, power, food, protection, guns, ammo, disaster preparation products, hunting, and much more. Seminars by Dr. Wallach, Robert Henry, Raymond Blake Hogshead, Trish Deer, Sandy Hall, Rick Austin, Survivor Jane, and more of our nation's experts on survival and preparedness. Don't miss the Social Prepper Prepper Trade Show, June 6th through 8th, Dalton, Georgia. For discount tickets, prize raffle, and info, go to socialprepper.com. Enter code GCN for 50% online ticket discount purchase. The Social Prepper Trade Show, presented in
4: part by GCN.
17: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: With Gogs Mackay on the panel and Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we welcome back Robert Hastings. It's been roughly two years since his last appearance on the Paracast. And I think for people who haven't heard him before, let's quickly recap the core of your interest then look at some of the latest information here. So you focus primarily on UFOs seen in and around nuclear weapons installations that's correct
7: yes my father was career air force and in 1966-67 he was stationed at malmstrom air force base montana Uh, we lived there for less than a year however it just coincidentally coincided with a period of high ufo activity out at the nuclear weapons sites uh, my dad got wind of it uh, through the rumor mill. He worked at a place called the Sage Building. It, it housed, among other things, the world's most advanced uh, computer-assisted uh, radar system at that time in the late 60s. There were reports by the military controllers of UFOs maneuvering around the missile sites, I independently uh, as a junior in high school 16 17 years old worked three nights a week at the base air traffic control tower after several months of having worked there I made the acquaintance of one of the FAA controllers and he was quite generous with his time in terms of explaining to me how radar worked and so on Uh, one night I walked through what's called RAPCON radar approach and control dark room several radar screens with guys hunched over them in the dark Uh, Walked through pushing a broom and trash cans and the same gentleman kind of motioned me over to a scope and so we're tracking UFOs or unknowns or uh, unidentified targets, whatever term he used. It was clear to me that he was talking about ufos so i got all all excited and started peppering him with questions and he kind of like the look on his face was like oh crap i've said too much so he told me to come back later and when i came back later and cleaned up i raised the the topic again he didn't want to talk about it the next time i was there about three days later i caught him in the break room and i asked him you know what was that the other night And he didn't want to talk about it so i let it go but it made a memorable memorable impression on me and by the time i uh uh graduated from college in 72 and did a year of graduate school in 73. I started looking for material on nuclear weapons-related UFO activity. And lo and behold, uh, I found uh, an article in the December 1966 issue of Saturday Evening Post written by Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was the Blue Book uh, project advisor, civilian advisor, and astronomer? In which he uh, was basically discussing UFO activity at Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota uh, in August of '66, where UFOs had come in and hovered around those nukes. And when I saw that, I was off and running. It dawned on me that what I had heard uh, from my dad at Malmstrom uh, back in '67 had had a basis, you know, in fact. And shortly thereafter, researcher Raymond Fowler. Who was a Minuteman contract Minuteman missile system contractor for, for Sylvania Corporation? Uh, published a book called UFOs Interplanetary Visitors. In it, he referenced UFO activity at Malmstrom in '66 and '67. Uh, again, corroborating what what uh, I had been told and what my father had heard. So um, that's what began my interest in this topic. I, at this point, have interviewed over 140 U.S. military veterans who were involved in incidents from the late 40s to uh, last fall who were involved in incidents or aware of incidents involving UFO incursions at missile sites, weapon storage areas, uh, nuclear bomb test sites, nuclear laboratories such as Los Alamos and Sandia. So it's real, it's important, and it's ongoing.
1: Gogs, do you want to put it in a comment?
3: Yeah, Robert, just uh, a quick one here. The interest shown by, apparently shown by UFOs in uh, the nuclear bases. I wonder, have you ever heard um, during your research of uh, any hint or whatever if the UFOs have ever shown any interest in biological or chemical kind of uh, weapons type places, uh, research places? Um, is it all new? I'm asked
7: that question from
3: time to time. I can't honestly address it knowledgeably. It wouldn't
7: surprise me, but I couldn't point to any specific uh, information, credible, verifiable information that has come my way.
3: Uh, sorry, no, you carry on, Robert. I do have another point, but I'll continue, please.
7: I was just going to say, to finish a thought, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, there was a period in the early 90s where uh, Western researchers and journalists were able to access uh, previously classified, uh, in fact still classified, uh, KGB and Ministry of Defense documents. In particular, journalist George Knapp uh, smuggled, literally smuggled some documents out of uh, Russia uh, in the early 90s relating to UFO activity at Soviet missile sites. Uh, there were also interviews conducted by NAP and others with former uh, Soviet military personnel alluding to these incidents. So whoever is in the UFOs, whatever their game plan is, part of it involved uh, tampering, monitoring and tampering with both American and Russian nuclear weapons.
1: Now, what I always wonder about when we talk about this issue about tampering with our weapons, that seems to show either a hostile motive on the part of whoever or whatever is piloting UFOs or some intent to kind of keep us down, prevent us from expanding our nuclear weapons development. I mean, what's the motive behind this?
7: I can think of a third option. You may have uh, benevolent intentions, whereby an advanced rate is, race is uh, monitoring a very primitive race, us, who now have for the first time in our history weapons that can actually end our civilization if they're used in large numbers. What I tell my lecture audiences, uh, I've spoken at over 500 schools since 1981, is this. Based on the available data, my opinion is that whoever they are are wagging a finger at us and the Russians and the other nuclear powers, and attempting to tell us that we're playing with fire. So I take a more positive look at the situation, but I quickly tell my lecture audiences. I don't have the inside story on this. No one does. Maybe the folks at the Pentagon and the CIA and the Kremlin don't even know. So we have to look at the whole range of options to account for what has been reported by these ex-military people. And if you look at the other end of the spectrum, uh, if indeed these are extraterrestrial visitors, there could be uh, ill intent toward humankind, there may be designs on our planet, they may intend some uh, invasion at some point in time, and they simply don't want to inherit a radioactive husk. Therefore, they are attempting to, as you said, uh, dissuade us or shut down our ability to use nuclear weapons. Now I personally do not believe that is the case. I personally am inclined to think that you have, uh, as I said, an advanced race who seemingly has our best interests at heart and is just planning to step in on a limited uh, on again off again basis um you know to to keep us from making a fatal mistake and and launching a major
2: nuclear war one thing that i've often wondered about robert and uh, you know i recall reading your book but not seeing information that 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 verifies this but have these objects ever showed up and actually changed telemetry data on on the on let's say a, a missile site? Changed the actual uh, target, let's say.
7: What I have is secondhand information uh, that target. Tapes have been erased, meaning that even if a missile was launched, it could not have hit its, uh, its designated target. Uh, the persons who've told me that were not directly involved in the missile maintenance uh, or targeting groups who would have discovered that if indeed it did take place. But they were missile launch officers who heard, heard through the grapevine within, you know, the missile air group. Um, you have launch officers, you have maintenance personnel and you have targeting personnel and there is some bleed over from group to group in terms of what's being reported uh, whether it's officially or or via the rumor mill and so i've heard on i think two occasions uh indirect references to when the missile targeting guys went in they found that the targeting codes had been scrambled. What I have as first-hand testimony from a number of people at Malmstrom, Minot, Ellsworth Air Force Base, F.E. Warren, is that uh, missiles dropped offline and when they were inspected it was found that their GNC, the guidance and control systems, uh, were scrambled. In other words, Um, even if they had been launched, they could not have, uh, you know, found their targets. But there was no specific reference within the the guidance system to the targeting tapes from these firsthand witnesses.
1: Just want to tell our listeners that next week on the PowerCast, we'll be featuring the return of Leslie Kane. And she's going to bring with her to the second half of the show Charles Halt, of course, one of the figures in the Rendlesham UFO case. Leslie Kane was also not present nor invited to the citizen hearing on disclosure. So you look at the esteemed people who didn't go there, and that brings up lots of interesting reasons, lots of interesting things to talk about. Leslie Kane, Charles Halt, on next week's episode. As always, if you have a comment or question, write us, news at thepowercast.com, news at thepowercast.com. We have Gogs McKay, our guest panelist. Our main guest this week is Robert Hastings. He's author of a book called UFOs and Nukes. And you're on with Gene and Chris because you're in the Paracast.
8: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
18: I'm again
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now,
1: here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, and our panelist Gog's McKay, we have Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. Chris is up next with questions.
2: Yeah, I, you know, Robert, uh, you mentioned uh, in the previous segment that, uh, you know, George Knapp was able to confirm and, and actually smuggle documents back from uh, the Soviet Union in the early 90s that, that indicate that uh, it's not only a U.S. problem um, on missile sites, but also the Soviet Union has, has had uh, similar types of events. To what extent, we, I'm sure we don't really fully know, but how about China? Or some of the other nuclear powers, do we have uh, any smoking gun evidence that China or uh, maybe French uh, nuclear testing out in the uh, South Pacific, let's say, in the 50s and into the 60s, do we have any other uh, international type cases?
7: Well, let's look at the French cases first. Uh, Let me preface my remarks by saying that I have largely focused on both the U.S. and the former Soviet Union. So my knowledge of what I'm about to say is peripheral and certainly does not involve direct research. But there are credible... Uh, information available on the in the internet uh, that I found indicating that on at least three occasions uh, UFO activity was observed by French uh, nuclear technicians testing nuclear weapons in French Polynesia in the 1960s. And uh, I can't pull the gentleman's name off the top of my head, but his credentials have been verified. Uh, he was part of the French nuclear testing program. Um, China, which obviously is a major player in the world, and even, well, it was less so in the 60s, uh, but they did have nuclear weapons uh, from 1964 on. One would assume, and I am quite convinced, that there was indeed UFO monitoring, perhaps even tampering with uh, Chinese nuclear weapons. But it's such a closed society. It is so difficult to get information even today about military affairs that I have not found anything, despite my many efforts to find credible information out of china I haven't on the other hand uh in uh, i believe in well india tested its first weapon in the 70s if i'm not mistaken and the, the pakistanis in the late 90s and i'm aware of what i consider to be credible reports online relating to ufo sightings around the test areas in both uh, india and pakistan um, they are arch enemies because of the hindu muslim you know rivalry or whatever the word would be um, and so unfortunately you know a fl- if there's going to be a flashpoint uh the odds of having a major us russian exchange at least at this point in time have have been reduced significantly but other areas of the world like the pakistani uh, indian area you know that may well flare up at some point in time and they both at, both have nukes so i would assume that there's some interest on the part of whoever are flying the disc shaped craft that have been reported at american and russian sites
2: india and pakistan actually have been in a undeclared state of war since since the Kashmir uh, you know, conflict uh, started uh, 35, 40 years ago, uh, I think even longer, closer to 50 years. And it, it would be uh, interesting to uh, get more information on some of the UFO sightings that have been seen uh, flying down this valley that uh, lies between these two opposing forces up there. That's one area that has had recently in the last, I think, three or four years some pretty interesting UFO reports.
3: I've got a quick point and a question. The quick point is we were talking about um possible motives for the interference at nuclear facilities. I'd wondered um Robert kind of touched on this. I'd wondered if it was a a possible uh warning stroke um kind of monitoring about the environmental side of things and perhaps robert can answer whether there's been any uh ufo interest over nuclear waste storage facilities that those ones that are separate from you know like active facilities and another question i had is actually we're hearing about interference of missiles, and for instance, in the Rendlesham case, supposedly the, you know, there was a quote: uh, the ordinance was adversely affected. I wonder more specifically in that, and more scientifically than that, does Robert know of any actual changes in the nuclear material itself, the actual isotopes? As like, has there been any detected change in half-life or the decay series elements of um? Anything like that, a kind of uh, chemical or physical change in the actual nuclear material? Has has there ever been any information about that?
7: Um, Let me hopefully remember all of those various questions, uh, taking them one at a time. I have heard rumors from from a couple of my ex-military sources about Rumors they had heard within their squadrons about uh, when the warheads were inspected that the uh, the plutonium had found to have been adversely affected. In other words, it would not have allowed for uh, you know, a nuclear, uh, detonation. Um, I have to say that evidence or those anecdotal statements to me, I don't consider as credible, uh, without getting into all the details. Um, they weren't really, uh, detailed. They weren't really 1st firsthand accounts. They were just rumors floating around. Um, I'm not aware of, although I'm sure there have been, um, uh, UFO activity at nuclear uh, storage facilities. I will, however, say um, that there are uh, there is a persistent story. In fact, it's been reported in both the Ukrainian and the Russian press in the early '90s that when the Chernobyl nuclear reactor exploded in April 1986. Uh, Among the persons on scene within hours were Soviet radiation monitoring teams. Apparently, according to these articles in both the Russian and Ukrainian media in the early 90s, uh, some of the people, or at least one of the people assigned to one of these teams has gone on the record as saying that they had already taken radiation readings, which were just ridiculously high. Then this brass-colored sphere appeared above the reactor and allegedly sent down two crimson-colored beams into the reactor. Uh, This gentleman alleges that this object was there for some three to five minutes before racing away. He further said in these articles that when they took their next reading of the ambient radiation, it was, I believe, reduced by two-thirds or three-quarters. I'd have to look at the appendix in my book to get the details, but significantly reduced. Now, assuming one that this is accurate reporting, you know, and that this indeed occurred. I don't think there's any known scientific explanation for radioactive decay being artificially reduced to such a dramatic degree in a short period of time. I'm unaware of any way that we can do that or whether it's even considered theoretically possible. But that was the report. Before we get too further along the road here, let me mention something about Rendlesham Forest. In my book, I devote a whole whole chapter to the incidents in December of 1980 at Rendlesham Forest and then also RAF Bentwaters, where at that time it was leased by the U.S. Air Force. They had the largest nuclear weapons depot in Western Europe at RAF Bentwaters. Based on information I have from my sources, it contained tactical nuclear bombs, that is, battlefield nukes that would be delivered to mainland Europe. In the case of Soviet invasion of Western Europe, jet fighters would fly these tactical nukes and hope to blunt a Soviet offensive. I have witnesses uh, who have said, and Colonel, including Colonel Halt, who said he heard on the radio chatter from guards at the weapons storage area. Of a UFO hovering over that site, sending down beams of light into it. Now, I interviewed him in '06. He had already made statements to that effect on the program "Unsolved Mysteries" in 1991. Uh, I asked him about that at length in my taped interview. He would decline to answer specific questions uh, confirming the presence of nuclear weapons because that's a, that's official Air Force policy. Uh, you don't confirm or deny the presence of locations of weapons. But he did confirm that he heard radio chatter while. He was out in the farmer's field next to the wood, next to the woods. Uh, most people know that story, tromping around looking at strange lights in Rendlesham Forest. He did confirm to me in, on this audio tape conversation that. He did hear radio chatter, uh, very excited chatter by guards at the weapons storage area of a UFO sending down beams of light into it. Nearly a decade prior to my conversation with Colonel Holt, I interviewed another retired Air Force colonel. I'm not at liberty to identify him. I know who he is. I know his credentials. He was very, very high up in the NATO nuclear weapons security apparatus.
1: We have Robert Hastings joining us, and he'll give you the rest of that answer in our next segment. With Gogs Mackay, Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, you're in The Paracast. Attack of the
0: Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
17: of buying gold and silver. Again, the global elite have plans for your money, and it doesn't include you. So call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. And I will send you a booklet with 10 reasons why gold and silver could be right for you. Again, don't get caught with money in your account when the next bank bailout hits. Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130.
19: What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs?
17: Glad you asked. The answer is
20: renovation teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation teas uses only 100% organic, fair-trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All renovation teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order renovation teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Uh, We
13: travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind.
15: Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets. But fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television.
5: As a
13: recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home.
15: Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet, just like a light on a timer.
13: And they're so easy to use, you just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs.
15: Fake TV is only $29.95 with free shipping. Order your Fake TV by calling 877 5 TV, or go to FAKETV.com. That's 877-532-5388 or
0: FAKETV.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. <laughs> We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Gene, Chris, and Goggs talking to Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. He was talking about more of his evidence with regard to UFOs at nuclear installations and everything, and we had to break up that answer, which now, Robert, you can finish. In
7: 1994, in Albuquerque, I interviewed a retired Air Force colonel who was previously attached to uh, the NATO nuclear weapons security uh, group at a very high level, and he confirmed to me, much to my surprise, uh, that, in fact, uh, just days after this object apparently hovered over the RAF Bentwater's nuclear weapons storage area, uh, sending down beams of light into it, uh, two tactical nukes, this colonel said, were loaded aboard a C-5A aircraft and flown to Kirtland Air Force Base where there is a nuclear weapons analysis laboratory, and they were, in fact, analyzed. Now, this gentleman claimed to have read a report detailing all of that, when I asked him what the findings of the inquiry, the investigation of the weapons were, he claimed that that information was not in the report that he read, and therefore does not know the outcome of that. But at the very least, it appears that the Air Force took that situation seriously enough to remove two of these nukes. Uh, how they determine which ones to remove, from which bunker, there are multiple bunkers at the weapon storage area. I don't really know. Let me quickly summarize my knowledge of the, the Rendlesham Forest, uh, Bentwaters case by saying that in 2007, I personally tracked down the two Air Force air traffic controllers who were on duty that week during all of that activity. No one else in the last 30 something years ever took the <laughs> took the initiative to do that. I located them, I identified them, Ike Barker and Jim Perry. I conducted audio tape interviews with them and what they each told me independently was they tracked a bonafide UFO the night that Colonel Halt was in the woods. This is important because skeptics have continually said, no, they were just looking at this lighthouse through the woods or, you know, some such prosaic explanation for what Halt and the others out there in the woods reported. What these two air traffic control uh, controllers told me was that they tracked an object that covered 120 miles in eight seconds and uh, one of the rec- controllers remembers that during that period when they were watching this object on radar it did a 90 degree right angle turn moreover one of the controllers who looked up from the scope and out the window said he saw at the po- moment when this object covered momentarily he looked out and saw hovering over the base water tower a glowing orange sphere. And he said that it was there for just two or three seconds and then zipped off to the southwest, just to the west of the weapons storage area. So... The skeptics, the debunkers, can say all they want about this not being a UFO, that it simply was a lighthouse. But the two guys who were monitoring their aircraft traffic control scope that night said that they tracked a bonafide UFO that uh, one of them saw out the window. One of them said did a 90-degree turn, and uh, it apparently was quite near the weapons storage area when it left the vicinity.
3: Gogs, you had a question. Yeah, very quick one, Robert. Have you had any personal UFO experiences? Um, I have
7: seen, beginning in 1970, and I think the last one was 2001, I've seen six separate objects, one at a time, some in daylight, some in the evening, uh, quite clearly anomalous aerial objects. They were not aircraft. Uh, the daylight sightings involved a silver cigar with no tail fins, no markings of any kind. It was not a cruise missile. It was like, if you can imagine, a cigar with, you know, tapered tips uh, clearly moving through the sky north of Albuquerque in daylight. I've also seen a disc in broad daylight near my farm uh, near Chicago back in the mid-'70s. Uh, I've seen a similar disc uh, in southwestern New Mexico in broad daylight. Uh, maneuvering through the sky. I've also seen uh, other objects that were luminous plasma balls uh, performing maneuvers that no aircraft on earth can do. Uh, and quite clearly, we're not ball lightning or anything like that. So aside from those six sightings, no, I can't say that I've had a personal UFO experience.
1: Huh, at least you had six sightings. I've had none. I have a fast question to ask before we go on. And we do have a lot of listener questions, as you know, Robert. And that is, okay we have all these cases of ufos in and around nuclear installations but you think if they were really concerned about our nuclear program they'd be around all the time not just here and there well two
7: points come to mind first i would say my research is just scratching the surface. Um, I think for every case that I know about, there's probably a 100 or a 1,000, who knows, cases over the last 70 years that I'll never know about because the witnesses haven't come forward to me or I haven't stumbled upon them or the documents will be hidden in perpetuity. Um, let's just say that, you know, I went up to Montana last fall in October, and all I did was have to go to the Fergus County Sheriff's Department, look through their blotter, the report uh, record and I found six UFO reports in September timeframe uh, near nuclear weapons sites in Montana. This was the fall of 2012. I subsequently interviewed one of the eyewitnesses, uh, a civilian named Jennifer Steiler. I'd have to look at my notes. And she said she saw two boomerang-shaped craft approximately uh, halfway between a missile site called O three 3 and her home southwest of that site. And September, I think it was 19th of 2012. So it's ongoing. Addressing your larger question, here is what I think is going on. Whoever these these guys are, and I think it's multiple ET races, in my view, that are now here, interacting with humankind at this point in our history, Um they probably have been around for thousands of years, but let's just talk post-World War II. Uh, there's so much uh, circumstantial evidence that the UFO activity just took a dramatic upswing at the precise time that we invented and began to test and began to employ nuclear weapons. That is that is just so well established. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. Now, why, I have been asked, don't they just sit down on the White House lawn or, and in the Kremlin court yard and make clear to everyone they're real, they're here, and get out and say, get ready your nukes. You know, why don't they address this directly face-to-face with our leaders in, in the nuclear powers? My view is that because they intend some contact with us in the future, the time has not yet arrived where they plan to openly reveal themselves to us, but they have had to probably against their will or not by intention had to start interfering with our nuclear weapons because uh, there was a very great potential during the cold war area for massive destruction planetary wide and i think what they've done is interjected themselves in an ongoing but stealthy fashion so the public as a whole does not know this is really uh, going on but the military leaders in both the nuclear power sure as hell do and therefore they can make a point you know, to the Pentagon and uh, the Russian military leaders, hey, you know, we're monitoring your nukes. We can shut them down if we want. Um, And so, and yet the public at the same time worldwide doesn't really have a sense that this is going on uh, because, uh, you know, the vast majority of the planet does not know anything about what I've discussed, what I've researched. So the secret is still secret for the vast majority of humans.
1: Well, I guess then that E.T., whoever, whatever it might be, does not have a prime directive not to interfere. And just parenthetically, I'll mention this, but you can answer in our next segment. Do we see this in North Korea, which has nuclear ambitions? What about Iran? And their nuclear ambitions are the UFOs hanging around there, too. We have Robert Hastings joining us with Gogs Mackay, Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien. You're in the (laughs) Paracast.
21: There's been a disaster, and most of you don't even realize the terrible danger we're in. Alex Jones has warned you for years to get a good food storage. We thought the danger was drought or food delivered to our gas tanks. Or our food sold to other countries, or food so expensive that only those on food stamps and welfare could afford it. But we have just experienced the most effective way to lose your freedom, liberty, and security without even a fight government regulation. After a 160 year tradition of self reliance, the do it yourself and charitable Mormon food storage canneries in half the country are forced to shut down due to excessive government regulations. Grow your own food, more regulations. If you've ever been warned to get food, while you can, this is it. Call 800-409-5633 or on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex. That's 800-409-5633 or on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex.
22: Imagine waking one morning only to find your family shivering in the dark because you couldn't afford to pay your electric bill. That's closer than you think. You probably haven't heard about this yet because the liberal media has been suppressing what is fast becoming the most shocking news story of 2012. Obama's secret war on coal that could increase your already high power bill as much as 400% in coming months. As shocking as it sounds, it may well be just a matter of time before the lights start going out across America. But here's some good news. There's an underground video at exposed123.com that thousands of smart patriots have used to end their slavery to the corrupt electricity monopoly. The video at Exposed123.com has already been banned by Google, and the liberal media is doing everything in its power to take it down and keep America in the dark. So watch it now at Exposed123.com before it's too late. Again, that's Exposed123.com.
19: This message dares all fish oil consumers. Yes, many people now take fish oil supplements, but the makers of K48 Plus want you to know it's not what you consume, but how it is absorbed that counts. So we dare you to compare fish oil with K48 Plus. K48 Plus, an omega 3 powerhouse, is made with the highest grade and most potent dose of krill oil available and is 48 times more easily absorbed than common fish oil. K48 Plus is both a remarkable anti inflammatory as well as a powerful antioxidant. If you suffer from ailments such as diabetes, COPD, autism, arthritis, depression, migraines, lupus, Alzheimer's, glaucoma, joint pain, high cholesterol, memory loss, or Crohn's disease. You need to see the K48 Plus video at livepremium.net. That's L-I-V-E premium.net. Or please call 208-521-3601. That's 208-521-3601 and ask about K48 Plus. Restore hope. Optimize health with K48 Plus.
1: Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris and Gogs. we got Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, joining us. And I presume you might have a comment about my last statement before the break.
2: Yeah, I've, I've got one before Robert chimed in. Uh, chime in, Chris. <laughs> I would think that a sizable percentage of unidentified objects flying around Iran has a U.S. Well, an invisible USA sticker on it. <laughs> the problem with
7: Iran and North Korea is the same problem with China. They're closed societies. Westerners have very little access to information, certainly relating to sensitive matters, such as UFO incursions, let's say, near near nuclear sites or military sites. So again, the same comment I made about China. I am aware of reports from both North Korea and Iran of UFO sightings, how credible those are. Based on the articles I've read, they're not very credible reports. They're certainly not substantiated. While theoretically, I think yeah, that's going on. The same thing with Israel. Israel, it's known uh, has a, a nuclear site in the Negev Desert. Within the past five years, I think it was there were reports from the New York Times of an object being sighted above this this plant in the Negev Desert. I know its name is. at the moment Uh, but anyway it's their principal nuclear site and there were reports in the New York Times and other papers of a, a spherical shaped object sighted hovering above this site it's called. But the reports on it, and this may indeed have been the case, that this was simply an errant balloon that got over the site. Based on the eyewitness descriptions, I think that's a less likely explanation. So this may have been a bona fide UFO, but apparently whatever it was was shot down by Israeli jets because it had violated the sensitive airspace. So again, to be redundant, theoretically, it's clear to me, I think, that Anyone who has nukes is being monitored by UFOs. But finding reports in our own country, let alone a closed society like North Korea, is, is pretty tough. It's um, Yeah,
2: virtually impossible, I would imagine.
1: Yep. We have a lot of questions from our listeners, which they posted over at the Question Bank in the PowerCast forum at forum.powercast.com. I know Robert is aware of most of those questions. We probably won't have time to ask all of them. But Chris will ask a short cross-section. Let's start with that right now.
2: Yeah, th- th- this is one that kind of sticks out uh, to me, Robert. It does have to do with a researcher who has been his his work has been called into question. Phil Brogno, um, of course, he is one of his first uh, books actually was uh, quite popular and allegedly co-authored with Jay Allen Hynek, who's already been mentioned in today's segment. But the book is called Night Siege. The event is the the supposed UFO sighting and entity sightings at the Indian Point nuclear uh, power station just north of, of New York City. What do you know about that particular case? And do you, like I do, have a sense that possibly details were embellished?
7: Multiple witnesses have independently reported that there was UFO activity at the Indian Point nuclear plant on the hudson river back in the late eighties so i think i mean they've independently discussed this in newspapers and on television programs i've seen uh... witnesses who are driving up you know this parkway along the river north home and Apparently one night, thousands there were literally thousands of people who saw this thing because the traffic was so heavy. Cars were stopping. You know, large numbers of cars were stopping. People were getting out and looking at this thing. Unfortunately, uh, getting back to Philip M. Brogno, my understanding is there is no question that he forged both his military and his academic credentials. Uh, he has met, misrepresented himself thoroughly my understanding of it based on quite credible reports i've read online
1: i'll tell you why a lot of those reports originated with one of our regular listeners lance moody who did his own independent investigation and then when we started to look into it we realized that what he said was true a lot of what this guy says about his educational background well a lot of it is false
7: Uh, that's my understanding and there's another uh UFO radio talk show host whose name is escaping me at the moment. I've been on his program, uh, who independently checked out, um, this situation and confirmed that indeed, uh, Imbrogno had basically misrepresented in completely his military and academic credentials. Uh, if you guys want to help me with his name, you know who I'm talking about. I think, um, uh, he's a veteran. He's, uh, Don Ecker.
1: Don Ecker. Don Ecker. Yeah.
7: You know, he told me I uh, had an email exchange. I went to him. I knew his veteran status. I knew his familiarity with various things that Imbrogno had said. And he told me point blank in an email exchange that, yep, I went, checked it out. It's all true. Uh, Imbrogno has, has fraudulently represented himself. So that indeed is unfortunate. But getting back to my earlier point. Unfortunately, talking about the incidents at the, new, at the uh, Indian Point nuclear power plant on the Hudson River in New York, uh, he Imbrogno is not the only source of information for those sightings. So, Robert,
2: uh, you know, I th- correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think in Night Siege, doesn't uh, Imbrogno, or possibly Files from the Edge, uh, one of his other books, doesn't he say something about entities being seen? Uh, going through walls of buildings and that sort of thing. Do, do you recall any of that? Do you, do you give it any, any credence? I
7: don't actually. I read the book. I read the book many years ago. I don't recall a specific reference to that. That's not to say that there wasn't one, but
1: I don't recall. Before we go on, let me tell our listeners what the question bank is all about. The question bank is an area of our forum at forum.thepowercast.com. That is forum.thepowercast.com. It gives you a chance to ask a question of a forthcoming guest. When we have enough warning, sometimes we don't. All you have to do is visit us, forum.thepowercast.com. Sign up, join the forums. It's free. Your email box won't be inundated with spam either.
2: We protect the people who join our forums. Sign up and post your own questions. Okay, well, we do have a lot of questions here in the question bank, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you've had a chance to answer uh, a number of them. But uh, do we have any independent confirmation of multiple missiles going offline? This is actually a question that Goggs wrote out. And uh, I seem to remember and recall from your book that uh, – upwards of fifty missiles, I think in one event may have been impacted by by some sort of incursion uh do you, wh- wh- where do you stand on on the number of events that could have simultaneously occurred in let's say one flyover or one visitation
7: um before the incident you just mentioned, in October of 2010 at F.E. Warren Air Force Base, where apparently 50 missiles were affected, prior to that situation, which I'll discuss more in detail in a moment, uh, I was aware unaware of any incident where more than 10 missiles in a given flight, so those are 10 missiles controlled by a single launch control capsule, had been affected, had gone down all at once. Uh there are multiple uh reports of that. Uh, the two best known ones were at Echo and Oscar flight in March of sixty seven at Malmstrom Air Force Base and I've got our ar- articles about that at my website. Um, the incident at F E Warren uh was rather intriguing. Um, I held this UFO and Nukes press conference on September twenty seventh. 2010 at the National Press Club. CNN streamed it live. One can go to my homepage at ufohastings.com and see the full length 63, I think it is, minute video that CNN uh, streamed of the entire press conference. Um, not even a month later, on October 23rd, 2010, There was this report at the Atlantic website, used to be the Atlantic magazine website, I don't know its proper name nowadays, Uh, a reporter named Mark Ambinder apparently got leaked information saying that the Air Force at F.E. Warren lost the ability to communicate with 50 of its missiles for 59 minutes was the story. However, given that I know about this ongoing activity at missile sites, I am we shortly thereafter made some inquiries and I had a, an, a well, actually retired Air Force missile targeting contact who had active duty contacts at FE Warren. Long story short, by late November, uh, not even a month after the incident, I had reports from eyewitnesses that missile maintenance teams who were out in the field trying to ascertain why the base couldn't communicate with 50 of its missiles. Uh, five flights of missiles, uh, five launch capsules. Uh, they could not communicate back and forth, could not, uh, in effect, launch those missiles, could not be given the orders to. Um, it, I got independent testimony from missile maintenance persons out in the field that a huge cigar-shaped object was sighted, not only f- over a 59-minute period when the missiles were down, but during uh, the next two days.
1: We have Robert Hastings, who will finish that answer. In our next segment, because we got a lot more to cover. With Gene, Chris, and Goggs, you're in the podcast. Are you tired
8: of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more.
1: We are the GCN Radio Network.
23: What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves, stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135, and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. The original Grover Rocket Stove minimal wood-use cooking stoves,
9: available exclusively from StockStorage.com. If you're going to have a bunker, why not have an Ultimate Bunker? In case of pandemic outbreak, civil unrest, biological or nuclear fallout, or EMP attacks, stay safe in your own Ultimate Bunker, built for lasting security for any need or budget. Manufactured in Salt Lake City, Utah, each Ultimate Bunker includes free food storage and all the comforts of home. Learn more at ultimatebunker.com. That's ultimatebunker.com or call 801-661-3900. Ultimate Bunker, you can't do better than the ultimate.
15: The government's Department of Homeland Security is buying up loads of ammo. At the same time, they're restricting civilians' rights to own and purchase firearms. Can you put two and two together? Infidel Body Armor can stop every round, including hollow points and 308 sniper rounds. Is reasonably priced and fully legal. But for how long? Go to InfidelBodyArmor.com, spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L, BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor. Just won't quit.
24: This is Kurt Zubin, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast.
1: With Gene and Chris and Gogs, we have Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. (laughs) Robert, you were in the middle of an answer there, and of course, commercial considerations forced us to break, but now you can continue that answer.
7: Uh, I was simply recapping what I know about the actual facts uh, involving the incident on October 23, 2010 at F.E. Warren Air Force Base. Uh, After this story was broken by the Atlantic website by reporter Mark Ambinder that the Air Force had lost, allegedly uh, for 59 minutes, the ability to communicate with five flights of missiles, 50 missiles, therefore, in effect, bottom line, they could not be launched for that 59 minutes, I subsequently contacted someone uh, who has been mentioned in my book who provided information about his own UFO uh, incidents in the 70s at Ellsworth Air Force Base, the same individual that talked about, uh, well, made inquiries on my behalf of persons who were active duty missile maintenance personnel at F.E. Warren, uh, who told him point blank that uh, the teams that went out over a two-day period, October 23, 24, 2010, to try to ascertain the problem, uh, why this communication snafu was going on and how to repair it. Uh, multiple teams came back to the base and reported seeing a huge silver-colored dull metallic gray silver-colored cigar-shaped object high above the missile field. And several teams independently came back and reported it. They said it did not have fins or a passenger gondola and no advertising on its side. It was not the Goodyear blimp. It was clearly a huge cigar-shaped object. These persons also told my uh, retired missile targeting contact that the missile maintenance commander held a squadron-wide meeting and admonished uh, the members assembled there not to talk to anyone about what they had, well, quote. The quote was, the things they may or may not have seen in the sky, quote, unquote. So quite clearly something more went on than just a prosaic computer chip issue, which is what the Air Force is officially chalking that problem up to so it's ongoing uh that's the last mass what it seems to be a mass shutdown uh based on witness testimony uh eyewitness testimony the one in montana at maelstrom this past fall in uh, september 2012 i interviewed probably a dozen locals civilians out in roy montana who told me that shortly after ufos were sighted around the oscar flight missiles September of last year that suddenly there was a huge increase in the number of missile maintenance vans in the area around the town. The town is literally surrounded by missile sites, and also a dramatic increase in Air Force security police patrols. So, coincidentally or not, at the same time, the civilians were reporting to the sheriff's office that they were seeing UFOs near missile sites. Suddenly, according to several people in Roy, Montana, there was a dramatic increase in Air Force activity at those missile sites.
3: Robert? If you can uh, confirm that uh, the the power supply and the electronics for each of these missiles, I believe, is completely independent, so that if the power fails in one, it will not adversely affect the others. So myself and Chris were just um, making the point that... Uh, For one missile to go down, that could go down for a number of reasons, but for two to go down simultaneously, you know, the chances of that are pretty low. But for, you know, several to go down, the odds just quickly become astronomical, and as Chris had says to me, regardless of the UFO question, just the fact of, say, ten independent missiles going down all at once. Even if they, uh, even if uh, the engineers don't believe a word of the UFO thing, they must be scratching their head, thinking this just cannot happen. Mathematically, it's so unlikely. What, what can you say about that, Robert?
7: All of that is entirely accurate and, uh, the missile maintenance people that I've talked to, the launch officers, the targeting people, uh, have all said just that the odds of 10 missiles going down at once is, is unheard of. I was on Larry King Live on July 18th, 2008 with uh, Robert Jamison, among other people, he was a missile targeting officer who responded to the Oscar flight shutdown, which we now know it took place on March 24th, 1967. That was Bob Salas' flight of missiles. Uh, Bob Jamison said point blank on Larry King. They were told that UFOs had shut down the missiles and given instructions on what to do if they'd sighted a UFO out while they were out in the field, bringing them back online. Um, he says right on Larry King, I believe, the odds, uh, you know, he walked into the control room, job control room, and saw all 10 missiles uh, lit up red at Oscar flight. All the other missile flights were bright green. So clearly all 10 missiles had gone down. And he said the odds of that happening are just, you know, astronomically against it. Further uh, regarding the earlier incident at Echo Flight on March 16, 1967, uh, the Boeing engineer, Boeing is the chief contractor for the Minuteman missile system, uh, the Boeing engineer in charge of the team sent to investigate why the Echo Flight went down, of missiles at once, a man named Robert Kaminsky wrote a letter to a researcher named Jim Klotz. In 1997, it's posted at my website, in which he said to Klotz that they found no prosaic cause for the loss of these 10 missiles. He said, uh, this is Convincey saying to Klotz, he said that the Air Force came in and said, shut down your investigation. Um, he said that was unprecedented. It never occurred before or after. And he said further that his liaison personnel, Boeing Air Force liaisons, uh, told him that there were reports of UFO activity at the site uh, when the missiles went down, and all of this again comes from the man who headed the engineering team that the Air Force tasked and Boeing tasked with investigating the incident, so it took many years for him to complain about that. Um, maybe no one asked him, but he certainly went on the record in nineteen ninety seven that this was a uFO related shutdown.
1: Chris,
2: we got lots more questions, oh boy, do we um and This next one comes from probably the most uh, creative of our uh, posters here at uh, forum.theparacast.com. Creative in terms of his name. He calls himself Yeti Turds for Sale. Not (laughs) sure what to make of that, Robert, but uh, moving right along. Uh, He has a a number of interesting questions, which uh, I'm going to ask through the remainder of our, our talk with you, but... How many cases are you aware of in which the witnesses involved were physically affected in any manner? He says here, I'm thinking of the cases where experiencers displayed symptoms of radiation poisoning, the case where the guy had a burn mark on his body that was allegedly the pattern of some sort of exhaust grill. Are you aware, Robert, of any cases where missileers, security personnel, or um others who may be at the site in the wrong place at the right time have been physically affected by some sort of flyover or uh, interaction with the uh... magnetic field or whatever that these objects uh... uh, allegedly produce
7: well i'm racking my brain uh... you know i've been interviewing people since seventy three uh... the book that came out in two thousand eight had interviews with about ninety of them i don't off the top of my head recall anything like that on the other hand there are two instances that have been reported, one at Malmström in 67 at Echo Flight, the other one at Ellsworth Air Force Base in 78, where the people involved, both of them, were targeting technicians, trying to bring the missiles up in terms of reprogramming the targeting information in the guidance systems. Um, in the case of Malmström, uh, Bob Salas had uh, a lengthy conversation with someone he calls Mr. X, uh... this person said that uh... he is not to be identified until his death and therefore even though i've worked with bob salas and we hosted this press conference together i still do not know the identity of mr x but uh... bob did check out his credentials he was a targeter at Armstrong, he was involved uh, by all accounts uh... in this echo flight bring uh, bringing it back up what he said was he told bob salas was uh... he was down doing his targeting work the guard topside at ground level starts screaming for him to come up, and eventually he goes up to the ground level. He's down in the missile silo, the underground silo. And both of them see this glowing orange object, sort of disc-shaped, hovering, quote, not far out, that seemed to be sending out like waves of energy, almost you could feel on your body. Uh, they could feel on their body like it was what he called low-frequency waves. I believe the term was used. Oddly, very strangely, he did not feel frightened by it, even though the guard was freaking out. And he just went back down into the, into the, uh, silo and continued his work. And he said, he told Bob Salas that when he got to a certain point, something called the alignment of the collimator in the process of restarting the missile, everything would crap out. And this happened repeatedly. And he said he had the very strong sense, whether it was telepathic or a hunch or who knows what, that they in the ufo were causing this they were aware of the procedure um in bringing up the missile they knew where he was in the, the startup procedure and they chose repeatedly at that point to indicate that they could shut down the the, re, the restart process that was this gentleman's interpretation of the event i'll
1: that- tell you well let's get into the finish yeah. of this in a moment we have robert hastings author of ufos and nukes joining us this week our special guest panelist gogs Mackay. You're on with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
8: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
12: gardeners. Here comes another growing season, but don't use last year's soil. Maximize yields in your survival garden with EM1 from Terragonics. EM1 is an organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant that provides a broad spectrum of beneficial microorganisms, enzymes, trace minerals, vitamins, and various organic acids. EM1 helps regulate the soil's pH level and its soil microbes, improving moisture retention and drought tolerance. Remember last year's dry conditions? EM1 from Terragonics is safe, chemical-free, and certified for use on all organic farms. improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, and gives up to 20% more nutrient value in fruits and vegetables and greatly increases shelf life. And EM1 is so simple to use, just mix with water and apply. This year, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. TerraGanics, life's getting better
0: welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now
1: here's jane steinberg before we get back to our guests i want to ask you something anybody out there want to work For the PowerCast and our other show, the Tech Night Out Live, anyone? Well, we're looking for someone with the skills to sell radio ads and banner ads for the show on our sites. If you have that experience, and especially if you know how to work with social networks, if you have that wide range of experience, we want to talk to you further. You can write us, news at thepowercast.com, news at thepowercast.com. Please don't forget to send your resume, by the way, so we have a sense of your job experience. News at ThePowerCast.com. News at ThePowerCast.com. With Gene and Chris, with Gogs McKay joining us as guest panelist, we have Robert Hastings. He is author of UFOs and Nukes, and his answers to the many questions are lengthy. And before we get on to more questions from our question bank at Forum.ThePowerCast.com, Robert, do you want to expand on that response or move on?
7: I'll just quickly say that the other incident that I alluded to a moment ago at Ellsworth Air Force Base in 1978, uh, the missile targeting technician said that a diamond shaped UFO, a four sided UFO was hovering low over his site. He felt these waves of energy, uh, streaming down. And again, despite this very horrific or frightening Spectacle, he did not feel frightened and he went back down and tried to retarget the missile. So you have virtually identical accounts of what is very odd behavior. The guards are freaking out and yet the targeting techs are cool, calm, and collected and trying to restart the missile with a UFO hovering low over the sites. So that's kind of bizarre.
2: Well, I have a, a kind of a follow up question to that, and this comes from my long association now with um, uh, Ray Stanford. Uh, Ray, by the way, uh, is real excited to tune in uh, to listen to the show. He uh, he gave you quite a compliment. Ray is, uh, <laughs> to put it kindly, is is quite the curmudgeon, and there's not many people in the field that he feels has any sort of relevance or credence, and you're one of them. And uh, he's very excited that you're going to be on the show. And one of the things that Ray has kind of hinted around about and and told me to always be aware of this is there's he calls it euphoria. There's some sort of of ability for the the human perception uh, system, uh, whatever that might be, from psychic to physical, that is is oftentimes made aware of the presence of these objects prior to actually seeing them or being alerted to their actual presence. And he says it's kind of a, a euphoric sort of feeling that... Over kind of overcomes you uh, just before um, you actually have some sort of experience and he thinks it may be some sort of physiological response to these objects in all the 150 uh, you've interviewed just dozens and dozens of people that have had uh, experiences like this have you ever gotten a sense from any of them that they had a premonition or some sort of feeling beforehand prior to being alerted that there was something, some sort of incursion
7: um, I am aware of cases not involving the missile ears, the missile cases where people have reported that it's it's in the literature. So I'm aware of that. I can't, off the top of my head, head excuse me, think of any um, report from any of my sources, all of these taped interviews, where that was presented to me or this that claim was made. Um, but there was the sense you know that that i mean there, this this inference of some sort of telepathic communication or certainly whoever was in the ufos had the ability to influence uh, the mental processes of these two technicians i just mentioned and suppress their emotions like fear um that seemed to be in, quite clearly implied by these two individuals um, I think if i 'm not mistaken, Bob Salas, in when he speaks publicly about his incident at Oscar, said that when he was down there trying to bring up the ten missiles and you know waking up his commander uh, Fred Mywald and dealing with it at some point, Bob apparently had this sense all of a sudden that uh, these were beings from somewhere else, and they were warning us not to use nukes. Now again, how, it's, it's sort of ephemeral. It's sort of, um, uh, uh, um, that's not the right word. It's sort of unprovable whether that was a real telepathic input in Mr. Salas' head or whether the, that was just a hunch he had or who knows what. Um, but the, those reports do continue to occur. I'll try to, um, shorten my answers. I do like to be very specific and detailed and not just give off the cuff answers, but I know you've got lots of questions. So I'll try to, uh, be a little less wordy here.
3: Hey, Robert, this is Gogs. I'll come in here with a, a quick point. Um, do you know of any reports, really, of any uh, associated high strangeness with any of these cases? I'm I'm taking it you're familiar with the term high strange.
7: Yes. No, go
3: ahead. Uh, no, that was the question, yeah. Do you know of any uh, associated high strangeness with any of these cases you've... Uh, Well, uh, two two things come to mind. Two things come to mind. Well, the Malmstrom
2: Um, cattle mutilations. uh, uh, Well,
7: there you go. You read my mind. The first thing that comes to mind are the reports of mutilated cattle in both, not only Malmstrom, but the F.E. Warren Missile Field. Uh, In the 1970s, Uh, in the fall of 75, there was something called the Northern Tier Incursions. That's how they've been referred to historically, um, where there were a number of SAC, Strategic Air Command bases, where UFOs were interfering uh, or at least near the nuclear missiles at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana, and then at two nuclear bomber bases, Wordsmith in Michigan and Loring in Maine. And uh, in the case of Montana, during that same time frame, there were... Something like 80 cases, I believe, of, uh, cattle mutilations within the Mounster missile field. And I've interviewed both the, uh, the, the, uh, Cascade County Sheriff, uh, Keith Wolverton, who was involved in, the, with those investigations and also the, uh, the former, commander of the Helicopter Squadron, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert Pizer, and both of them confirmed that the two of them had met together to try to put their, compare notes, I guess, put their heads together and figure out what was going on. So there are these mutilations associated with some of the UFO incursions at missile sites. The other thing that comes to mind is I have two independent reports from missile security guards Um, I'd have to look at my notes to remember which bases were involved. One was Malmstrom, I don't remember the other where they were out at a missile site, there was an al- a tripped alarm, there was the inference of a UFO present, but they didn't see UFOs, but they were on their way back to the base and it took them a lot longer to get back to the base than it should have, and they were out of radio contact, so there was this inference of uh, missing time, perhaps a close encounter, like an abduction experience, uh, that these two former missile cops, sky cops, missile security police, told me about independently. Um, so I would certainly consider that a hot incidence of high strangeness.
2: We've also had uh, security personnel vehicles shut down uh, inexplicably and then power back up. That that should probably be that's correct noted as well. Um, you know, I, I really hate to get into this and, and give it any sort of um, attention, but it, I think it's important to to look at some of the pushback and blowback uh pertaining to your work and that is this James Carlson character and and his dad Eric um I do have a couple of of questions relating to that um at the forum.theparacast.com but I I would like to just get a sense from you first of all maybe give a, a just a quick overview of uh James Carlson's sort of vendetta I mean I for the life of me I don't know you know what what the motivation is here but Perhaps you might address, uh, James and his dad, Eric's, uh, uh, problems with your, with your work and, and, and give us a sense possibly what the motivation could be because your, your work is so well documented that it's, it's really difficult to, to talk about the one or two people that have come out and said, well, this is all a bunch of BS and blah, blah, blah. Um, why don't you give us your thinking about James Carlson? And I'll tell you before we do that. We're going to have a
1: break in a moment, and I'd rather give Robert a full segment to respond to this. It's a very complicated issue, as do any of these things end up or turn out to be. Listeners, on our next episode of the PowerCast, we will feature author and investigative reporter Leslie Kane and also Robert Halt, who, as you have just heard, was a key figure in the Rendlesham UFO case. Questions open in the question bank at forum.theparacast.com. If you really want to participate, but today we're talking to Robert Hastings. He's author of UFOs and Nukes. Our guest panelist is Gog's Mackay with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
14: Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and floating phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions,
25: You've seen them on network television, Shipping Wars, and the History Channel. Now, now, the strongest shelters money can buy are here. Atlas Survival Shelters, made in America from 10-foot diameter galvanized corrugated pipe up to 11 times stronger than square box shelters and built to last up to 200 years. And you won't believe the amenities. Atlas shelters contain microwaves, refrigerators, big screen TVs, water tanks, septic systems, bulletproof hatches, and much more. Virtually everything you have at home just buried 20 feet deep and bomb proof. See the amazing Atlas Survival Shelters at Atlas Survival or call 1 855 4 BUNKER. That's 855 4 BUNKER or Atlas Survival com. Financing now available. Atlas Survival Shelters. Better prepared than scared.
0: we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com so robert hastings joining us with gene chris and gogs before we broke robert you were asked a question about someone who doesn't like you very much and has been sharply critical of your work. So maybe you can give our listeners a background and a response.
7: What is now known, either through witness testimony or and or documents, is that there were two full-flight, what apparently were full-flight, ten missiles each, shut-down incidents at Malmstrom Air Force Base. The incident at Echo Flight Uh, was on march 16th 67 the oscar flight i now have established was eight days later three of the four in in each case in each launch capsule you have two missile launch officers controlling missiles so in combined the two cases you have four missile launch officers three of the four have confirmed a ufo presence i have them on tape bob salas has them on tape Uh, some of those tapes are at my website the one holdout officer who won't admit that there was any ufo involvement is james carlson's father eric who was the commander at the echo flight site despite taped conversations three hours worth at my website where the deputy commander now retired colonel walter Fiegel, confirms that he did indeed despite what james carlson claims to the contrary Uh, Fiegel did receive a telephone call from a guard out at one of the echo sites in which he described a round object hovering directly over one of the sites. Uh, James has continually misrepresented that conversation. He's gone so far as to say that I've doctored the tapes. I'm offering, you know, any audio expert access to the tapes, and if there's any evidence of fraud, those persons can find it. These people have to be, uh, you know, credible audio experts. I'm not, just not going to make this data available to Joe Blow. In any case, uh, Colonel Fiegel has called James Carlson's statements, quote, off-base He's also said that James Carlson has, quote, an ax to grind. All of that's on tape. You, one can listen to it at my website in these conversations with with that I had with Colonel uh, Fiegel in 08, 09, and 2010. What is known about James Carlson is this. He has been diagnosed with epilepsy. His naval career was cut short. Because of that, he was medically discharged. Uh, I've done some reading online in which it's found or is discussed online. In some cases, persons with epilepsy have reality-detached behavior. They're not well-grounded in what we would all collectively call reality. Another characteristic described what in some of the articles I read online are manic behavior. If you look at James Carlson's 2,000-word blog post with no breaks, no paragraph breaks, just a wall of words, just, you know, at hundreds of sites over the last five years. One could say that's manic behavior. So I don't know if James' problems, diagnosed problems, self-admitted brain condition, epileptic related problems are the origin for his inability to grapple with the truth, the facts, or whether he's, you know, just um, an unethical person because he continually represents the witnesses' tape testimony. I don't know what the bottom line is. All I know is that if one looks at what he says, reads what he says, and then compares with, with what the witnesses actually say on tape, available at my website, you'll see it's day and night, and that Carlson misrepresents what the eyewitnesses said. The
2: I questions. think that kind of sums it up uh, well. I had no idea that James Carlson had um, been discharged from the Navy uh, because of medical conditions, as you described. Uh, that may go read it on his own me- blog. <laughs> that goes a long way in my mind to maybe... Describe uh, what is clearly manic behavior. Well, moving right along, uh, you know, actually, Robert, as is quite a compliment to your work. That would be the only detractor that I have ever even heard about, let alone uh, had any sort of uh, information about. And that uh, in this field, <laughs> which is filled with uh, infighting and detractors, uh, that's. To be uh, as Teflon as you've been uh, over the years uh, is quite a testament to your meticulous documentation, and I want to be the first to congratulate you on uh, such a fine job that you've done over the years and really dotting your I's and crossing your T's. And uh, if that's the only logjam in the works, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't even think it should be there. But anyway, moving along, another question we have here. Well, let me, uh, from...
7: before, we, before we move along, let me let me interject one other point here first of all, I consider myself merely the messenger for these witnesses. These ex-military people are the people who deserve public praise. I'm just driven to do what I do. I can't explain why, but I'm trying to do as best a job, as good a job as possible. But I'm just the messenger for people who are involved in these incidents. Now, the other thing I'll quickly say is, Carlson, you know, is unique in terms of the, the nature of his criticisms and the complete misrepresentation of taped audio evidence and all that. I mean, he's just totally out in left field, but there are debunkers. There are skeptics. And what I would like to quickly say is, um, the, the chief, chief skeptic group used to be called Psychop. It's now called CSI. The late Philip Class was its leading UFO debunker. James Oberg is another one. They publish a magazine called Skeptical Inquirer. The editor of that magazine is kendrick frazier and some 25 years ago when i went out on the lecture circuit i uh, you know shortly after i went out i began investigating why this group was so adamantly anti-ufo and misrepresenting the facts and what i found was this you know all my material deals with nuclear weapons related cases what i found out pretty quickly was the editor long-time editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine, Kendrick Frazier, worked for over 20 years as a public relations specialist for Sandia National Labs, one of the leading nuclear labs in the U.S. You can look high and low, and you won't find that in that magazine. And yet that is a fact, and I published that that fact in my book. James Oberg, who is a debunker of UFOs, claims publicly they don't exist, there's no cover-up. When a man named Bob Jacobs, Dr. Bob Jacobs, leaked information about the so-called Big Sur case uh, the apparent shoot down of a dummy nuclear warhead by a ufo that was all captured on film according to jacobs and another air force officer named major florence mansman james oberg privately wrote to jacobs and chastised him for releasing quote top secret information to, excuse me top secret ufo data is the exact phrase that appeared in Jacob in uh oberg's letter to jacobs wow. now <laughs> uh, apparently you know so yeah quite quite at variance to his public with persona as a as a ufo debunker um apparently oberg thought that uh you know he would be intimidated jacobs would you know shrivel up and crawl back into a hole or something <laughs> jacobs published portions of that letter and just exposed oberg's duplicity uh, he also was written to by philip class who said quite intentionally uh, i can provide references Dr. Jacobs of my credibility as UFO researcher and he named as references, uh, Admiral Bobby Inman and General Daniel Graham, who have had various jobs with CIA and NSA over the years. So again, it was quite clearly an effort to attempt to intimidate Dr. Jacobs into silence after he broke the Big Sur UFO story. Uh, Jacobs, again, being Bob Jacobs, God bless him, he threw it back in their face and published Class's letter uh, where he was citing as references you know, two of the top intelligence officers in the U.S. government after decades of denying that he, he was a government agent so when you look behind the scenes if you kind of lift the cover on this particular group of quote skeptics you find all this bs going on so quite clearly these guys are more than they appear to be more than they attempt to present themselves as
1: oh we can't have too much of that we have robert hastings joining us he's author of ufos and nukes there's so much more to come with gene chris and gogs you're in the
19: Paracast. <laughs>
1: Whew. <laughs>
18: Being prepared against possible food shortages and economic collapse is not complicated. Just remember two words, disaster stuff. Add after those two words and you've got just one side for all your preparedness needs. Disasterstuff.com prepares your family against food shortages with Linden Farms freeze-dried foods in buckets or Gourmet Reserves. Freeze-dried food in number 10 cans, both with free shipping. Purify and rid your water of contaminants with a big Berkey or other berkey system and get free shipping plus a water level spigot or fluoride filter at cost and protect your radios and other electronics from emps with our emp faraday bags starting at just five dollars and ninety cents when the food shortages and economic instability happens be ready with all your stuff from DisasterStuff.com. just remember two words disasterstuff.com. freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility
7: this is jerome
10: clark author
1: of the ufo encyclopedia and other books you're listening to the paracast with gene and chris and gog's final two segments of the paracast the book under discussion is ufos and nukes which you can get from Robert Hastings' site, www.ufohastings.com. There's a link to it at our site, at theparacast.com. Chris, loads of questions
2: in the question bank. Would you proceed? Robert, this is a really good question, um, and it's one that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I've never actually thought about this, but perhaps you can shine some light on this particular subject. This comes from our longtime poster, Blowfish, at forum.theparacast.com, and it's uh, the following. Robert. How many accounts of military aircraft have been seen, or military aircraft carrying nuclear weapons, um, do we have any sort of reports of UFO activity interested in those flights?
7: Let me devote about 30
2: seconds to
7: following up on what Gene just said about my book. It is self-published. It is available at my website, dollars 42395, 600-page book. Now scalpers buy it and resell it on Amazon for 85 bucks. So if you have deep pockets, go straight to Amazon. If you want to be sensible about this, go straight to my website and order the book. Your question related to UFO activity near military aircraft carrying nuclear weapons. I am aware of a handful of cases. I'm sure there are a great many more. However, uh, one of them that has come to light uh, was presented publicly by Barry Greenwood and Larry Fassett in their book, Clear Intent. It was really the first book devoted to nuclear weapons, UFO activity. Uh, it was published, I believe, in 1981. Anyway, in Clear Intent, uh, they cite Keith Wolverton, the then-sheriff of Cascade County, describing information relating to a sighting uh, of a B-52 coming in on a bomb run. There's a site northwest of Great Falls called Freeze Out Lake where they do uh, simulated bomb runs. B-52s come in low and open their bomb bay doors and all that. And apparently a Fish and Game employee saw one of these maneuvers uh, and a small glowing globular shaped object, a ball of light, came and suddenly attached itself to the aircraft momentarily and then raced away. And according to Keith Wolverton, uh, contacts he had at the base said that the aircraft's radar went haywire when this object apparently attached itself to the bomber. I'm aware of a handful of other reports. I I find it interesting the missileers, the nuclear missile people, talk to me more often than not, whereas the bomber pilots or uh, the B-52 crews just really don't want to have anything to do with me, and I'm not sure why that is but they're very suspicious of my intentions. I I get very few of them to open up about incidents involving UFO activity, you know, during B-52 sorties or whatever. There is recently, and I'm trying to get this person to go on the record, there was a report in MUFON about two years ago, from a man who was a security policeman at Ramey Air Force Base in Puerto Rico during the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 62, who said this disc-shaped object and sort of a cloud, a plasma cloud, appeared over the base, hovered over the B-52 alert area where the b- loaded, b, you know, nuclear weapons bombers were already poised for takeoff, hovered over the alert area, and then moved on to the U-2 spy plane hangar before moving away. Now, uh, I've done some cursory checking. I think that story is legitimate. And so you would have another case involving UFO activity at a
2: bomber base. That's that's news to me, boy. That's it. very interesting. You know, these Montana cases keep coming, uh, coming back here. And, of course, you know, I'm doing a book right now on the, um, the cattle mutilation phenomenon and actually human, humankind's relationship with cattle. And Montana does figure prom- prominently in this. And, uh, you know, th- thank you very much for reminding me to, uh, to really dig, uh, extra deep in some of these, uh, these cases. You've really, you've really kind of put a bee in my bonnet about this. Uh, you know, I think having, Attendant phenomena like, like cattle mutilation cases or reports, I should say more accurately, around, uh, Malmstrom and, 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 other bases where these, uh, these potential incursions or, you know, whatever you want to call them, flyovers and manipulation of, uh, of, of electronic gear on <laughs> missile sites. I mean, it, it just makes you wonder about agendas. And there's a number of questions on, on on the forum here about, you know, what the possible agendas are. And one thing that's always struck me is if we're dealing with something that's extraterrestrial that's coming here and sort of, as you put a wagging their finger at us, um, you know, that's one thing. But if we're dealing with something that may have been here as long as we have. I would think that nuclear weapons and uh, the possibility of irradiating the planet would put them uh, in jeopardy as well. What are your thoughts about some other tenant in the building possibly uh, being interested in these sites and showing up? It, it, what is your thinking on that? I mean, are you an ETH guy, or you don't really kind of mention you know extraterrestrials or the word alien? You're very um, conservative, I guess, in how you language. Uh, a lot of these uh, accounts and reports. What are your personal feelings? Let's Do you think we're dealing with something off-planet? Um, my
7: personal opinion based on having studied this for 40 years is that these are ETs, beings from other worlds. Uh, there's anecdotal data I confined to discussing sightings by law enforcement personnel all over the world since 1954 who are out on patrol come around a bend in the road, see a landed craft with little beans walking around it, or beings of one description or another. And if one, I mean, there are literally hundreds of cases of cops of all descriptions in worldwide reporting landed craft with little entities walking around them. If one considers, you know, that those cases have merit, as opposed to being totally nonsensical, cops have everything to lose and nothing to gain by reporting something like that. And yet it's continually reported. Uh, what is described from case to case to case are a diversity of uh, morphologies you have seven foot tall beings you have three foot tall beings you have human-looking beings you have insect-looking beings so in my opinion we have multiple races visiting this planet how they get here you know what their overall plan is who the heck knows Um, the other important thing and I've got a whole chapter in my book devoted to What's called higher dimensional space, hyperspace, which has now gained a great deal of um, acceptance in uh, physics, professional physics circles. There are over a 100 peer-reviewed papers in scientific journals Mm -hmm. at the time my book came out in 08, where various physicists and mathematicians are discussing ways that faster than light travel can be achieved, uh, whether it involves folding space, going through wormholes, whatever the theories are. For the first time in human history, uh, you know, a 100 years into the Einstein era where he said nothing can travel faster than the speed of light over the last 20 years, that supposedly unshakable dictum is now being challenged by professional scientists and saying you know in in their papers where they say yeah there are ways that conceivably one could travel faster than light so if we assume these are ET visitors one assumes that some of them are more advanced than us and figured out what we're just now cutting our teeth on probably a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, a million years ago. You know, if these are multiple races, they they may or may not interact with each other. Some of them may just be slightly ahead of us, let's say a hundred years in technology. Some could be a million years ahead of us. Um, So one has to take all that into account. There are also intriguing reports of uh, hyperspace, for example, and other theories allow for multiple parallel dimensions other than our space-time universe. There are reports where seemingly the sky opens up, there's a hole, and then a craft emerges from it, suggesting almost like uh, moving from one dimension to another. So, in my view, that's what's going on. Um, you know, it, it, who knows when this is going to be proven, you know, beyond any doubt for for, you know all of humankind to accept the fact that this is real and 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 here and happening but i think that's my assessment of it
2: well i you know it, it stated the way you just stated it yes I, I would agree uh that it does appear to be something off planet however having you know recently written a book about the tricksterish nature of these sorts of things and how appearances often are deceiving I, I think there is a possibility that we're being led to believe that we are dealing with something off planet. I'll tell you what, we are also led <laughs> to believe that we have benefactors
1: who want to talk about what they have to provide for us. We have Robert Hastings joining us with Gene, Chris, and Goggs. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
8: HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant Powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant Powder. Order today at 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org.
20: That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. If you suffer seasonal or environmental allergies and your doctor has told you that
8: the only answer is medications for the rest of your life, Dr. Peter Glinton has an alternative solution that doesn't involve drugs with terrible side effects.
20: One of my favorite add-on products to the 90 essential nutrients for people who are suffering with allergies is a product called Cell Shield RTQ. Cell Shield RTQ. The Q in that product stands for a biochemical called quercetin, and quercetin is a natural antihistamine. It doesn't flag out your immune system like antihistamines do.
8: To manage your allergies without a lifetime of prescription or over-the-counter drugs, order Cell CellShield RTQ today by calling 855-347-3696. That's 855-347-3696 or on the web at FireYourMDNow.com. That's FireYourMDNow.com.
5: Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen
25: Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: With Gene, Chris, and Goggs on the Paracast, we have Robert Hastings, author of UFO and Nukes. Let me remind you, then, that the best place to buy Robert's book is at his site. We do have a link over at TheParacast.com. so you go there to buy the book this way the scalpers do not profit this way all the money goes to him and that's the way to do it in any case chris raised a particular point of view about the ufo phenomenon and possible causes robert you want to get into that
7: um, i'm aware of what is called the trickster phenomenon where there seems to be some sort of deception going on um you know it has been reported in cultures for example i've lived in the southwest for the last twenty five years um and where possible where it's 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 feasible for me to do it i engage in discussions with native americans of one tribe or another about their views on all of this and they all have trickster myths about uh, entities doing things that fool humans into thinking one thing or another i think that's what chris is alluding to um some of these Indian tribes, I'll quickly say, are uh, their their uh, collective uh, wisdom about U- what we would call UFOs um, is held as a closely guarded secret, and they do not discuss it with outsiders. And these people I've raised the issue with very politely tell me just that. Other tribes, uh, in particular the Navajo, I've talked to another number of Navajo people who say uh, quite openly, "Yeah, you know, we know about UFOs, you know." People of my grandfather's generation think they're spiritual beings, but people of my generation, you know, guys in his thirties or whatever, think they're beings from other worlds. And there's really no hard and fast um, prohibition to having either view within the tribe is what I've been led to believe. So it, it's, it's a multifaceted phenomenon and uh, I've confined uh, myself to the nuts and bolts cases. Um, where you have radar data, hopefully, you have multiple eyewitnesses, you have apparent physical effects in terms of weapons being shut down when, the, when these objects are present. But, um, you know, I'm aware in my personal reading of the topic and communicating with other human beings is this is a very complex problem. We're not going to get to the bottom of what we call UFOs are anytime soon.
3: Yeah, Robert, Scogg's here. Um is your research uh, in nukes and UFOs ongoing, and if or if not, um, is what other uh, areas do do you research regarding UFOs? It is ongoing. Um
7: this may or may not be a good thing, but when I get up in the morning, it's on my mind. When I go to bed, it's on my mind, and um, I think if I'm going to make any meaningful con- contribution to the, the, the collective knowledge base, I need to confine myself to this particular subtopic. Uh, I think it's important, obviously, given the recent history of humankind where we now have weapons that can take us out and destroy the environmental integrity of the planet for a long time. I think this is a very significant um aspect to why we have ufo activity to the degree that we do in the last 70 years so i think that's that's a large enough plateful right there to deal with for any one person so i devote my time to that it is ongoing um i'm 63 now i'm slowing down i can't sit at the computer or make calls for eight hours a day every day like i used to but um, i'm still digging into it and it's it's endlessly fascinating um you know, when I post press releases, when I'm on uh, CNN or do programs like this one, um, I invariably get contacted by people who are ex-military. Every now and then I get some jerk who's a liar, and he's quite quickly exposed as a liar, but most of those people are sincere and have something to tell me, and I encourage them to contact me at UFO Hastings at AOL.com, aol.com, UFO Hastings at aol.com. Uh, very quickly if there's a veteran who wants to talk to me i will say i'm going to need your dd-214 to verify that you were at the bases you said you were at those time frames when you described your ufo experiences to me but once we get beyond that i'm very interested in what you have to say
1: just before Not dogs that. comes in with another huh. comment are you contacted by people who claim to have military experience but don't
7: uh, rarely, as I said a moment ago. Yeah, and um, there are people who I can tell just right off. I know within thirty seconds whether something's not right in the way they word uh, their emails to me or their present themselves. And when I push quickly, they run away. Um, the bona fide sources pursue contacts with me. They're very understated. As a general rule, if someone calls me and says, I know what the CIA talks to the NSA and the White House about, blah, blah, blah. When someone contacts me and has grandiose claims about having oversight knowledge of the whole UFO government cover-up, quite clearly uh, those people don't know what they're talking about, are making that up. Uh, The situation is so compartmentalized that if you're in on part of the secret that's all you know you don't know the overall picture so those people are quite foolish if they think they can mislead me with claims such as those the people who turn out to be the legitimate sources the ones that ones that have ended up in my book are very low-key they're understated they don't make claims that they can't prove they say this is what I do know I don't know that uh, they give very specific details generally if not the year of the case certainly who was involved what missile sites were involved and so on So it's pretty quickly clear to me who is worth pursuing in terms of a potential lead as opposed to who is just somebody trying to pull a fast one on me.
3: Robert, it's quite timely that uh, you gave your contact details there. The question I was going to ask is how much of your research is active and how much is passive, as in how much do you have to go out looking for stuff And how much does stuff come and find you, uh, you know, because people know what you're into? I don't know that I could quantify that. Um,
7: It's a little of both. Um, I, for example, had just read something online about sightings in Montana last fall. I was speaking at the University of Montana in October. And so I drove a couple hundred miles up to the areas where the missile sites are and found this log in the sheriff's blotter and subsequently interviewed the witnesses. So... You know I took an active hand uh, because the opportunity presented itself I don't have the financial financial wherewithal to fly all over the, the, the country pursuing one leader or another but if I an opportunity like that presents itself I'll certainly pursue it um, but again as I mentioned earlier in that case from last fall up in Montana my witnesses are civilian personnel uh, civilian civilians living in the area of Roy Montana I don't have military personnel um, coming forward yet. And I don't encourage active duty Air Force personnel to approach me because my my emails are monitored. My phone's tapped. There's no question. I mean, if the guys in Washington have any brains, they've kept a good eye on me for the last 30 years. There have been some funny monkey business on the telephone, I could tell you about if there's time. But um, so I don't encourage active-duty people to approach me. I'm very curious to know what happened up there at, at Oscar Flight in September and uh, October of 2012. But it could be decades before any of those guys come forward, and I'll be long gone. So.
1: so how do you think your people react with regard to the story that, and we mentioned at the beginning of our show, that, the government went after the AP for alleged leaks that might relate to some kind of military whistleblower.
7: I'm aware of the story. I just saw it on CNN earlier today. I don't know what to say. And it's nothing, nothing is black or white. Um, I think there are legitimate cases where any given administration has to know For example, a terrorist-related leak, I don't have a problem with uh, them nosing into that. On the other hand, the Constitution does guarantee privacy, and so the people that argue, such as myself, who've had problems with telephone issues and email issues, quite clearly, someone monitoring my activities, you know, constitutionally, there is a question whether anyone should have the right to do that. So it's pushed back and forth, uh, you know, it's give and take, and uh, it's, it's not cut and dried by any means.
1: Robert, tell our listeners where they can get more information about what you do.
7: My website is ufohastings.com. On the homepage, there is this CNN streaming of my press conference. You'll see seven Air Force veterans talking about UFOs, monitoring and even tampering with nuclear weapons. If you go to my documents page, you'll find a number of documents corroborating UFO activity at nuclear weapons sites since the 1940s onward. And if you go to my book page, you can order my book uh, directly from my site without having to pay exorbitant rates at Amazon when scalpers try to
1: resell it. Okay, you can find us at theparacast.com on Twitter. We are the Paracast. We have a Paracast fan club. Over at Facebook. Chris' site is our strange So we've had Gogs Mackay as our guest panelists with Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien. Robert Hastings, thanks for joining us this week on the PowerCast. Thanks, Robert. Thank you.
0: The PowerCast.